You are listening to the Artisan Tree Podcast, Passageway 4. Today's message is based on Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus calls his apostles to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So given Jesus' command, we who are his witnesses today are to go outside the comfort of our own communities and circles and reach out to people on the other side. In other words, the witnesses of Jesus are to cross borders. But what usually ends up happening is that we tend to avoid borders and avoid those on the other side. Listen in as we discuss how to overcome our tendencies so that we may be the faithful witnesses Jesus would have us be. Hey everybody, Jason Link here. Welcome to the Artisan Tree Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Artisan Tree Podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at artisantree.org. Come back often and feel free to connect on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also follow me on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So imagine, you are one of the apostles, and it's been 40 days since the unthinkable has happened. Your rabbi, Jesus Christ, this guy you have been following and basically mimicking and and really putting all, you've put all your chips on him, that he's the guy, he's the Messiah, he died And in that dark hour where you thought all was lost, he rose from the dead. This rabbi of yours, Jesus, defeated death. This rabbi, this Jesus, could not be held down by the Roman Empire, the most powerful political force of your time. And you're thinking, this is the guy. This is our Messiah. He is going to deliver us. And so 40 days have passed, and you're just waiting. When is that going to happen? When is this Messiah guy going to be doing his Messiah-ing? going to be restoring us until one day you're outside of Bethany and he says, okay, in a few days, you guys are going to get the Holy Spirit. So, like any good Jew, you ask a very logical question.
question. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's very logical. You've got here, you've got your Messiah, the Christ. He cannot be held down by death. He cannot be held down by the Roman Empire. So it makes perfect sense that the kingdom of Israel would be restored. That Israelite rule would be recovered and attained. That you would flourish among the peoples. That you would no longer be in subordination and hostility to the other peoples. But that, and, and, and you, would, you would break free of this history of living in hostility and subordination to Gentile powers. And that you would no longer be a divided people, but you would come together under the banner of Jesus. Basically, the apostles are asking, are we, the Jews, going to be people God, are we going to be the people God promised we would be? And Jesus' Jesus's response is not what they would expect. It never is with Jesus. He says, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set, uh, has set by His own authority. Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And that's the last thing He says. And then He gets taken up into the heavens. So something is about to happen. Whatever this baptism of the Holy Spirit means, it's about to happen. But it isn't going to involve the bodily form of Jesus as they, see bef- as they see in front of them. At least as they know it. It's not going to involve that. It's going to involve them, these 11 guys. And they are going to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ. And, and on top of that, it's not only going to be on, on their shoulders, this responsibility. And it's, they're not going to be just tending to their own people. They aren't going to be witnesses to their own people alone. Rather, they're going to be witnesses to all people. This message of theirs is going to go to all people. Just as the apostles are called to look beyond their own community, their own circles, their own country, we are called to look beyond our own community, our own culture, and and witness to other communities and other cultures and other circles. And by witness, I mean a lot of times when we hear the word witness, we think of the word evangelism, and that's true, that's what it includes, but we think about what Jesus did through his whole ministry. He was he was doing lots of things. He was healing the sick. He was tending to the poor. He was casting out demons. He was defeating the agents of death all throughout his life. And by his death, he, he defeated D, death with a capital D. And so to be a witness of Jesus Christ, yes, is evangelism, but also it's following in his footsteps and doing those things. And so just as the apostles were called to witness beyond their own circles, beyond their own communities, we are called to be witnesses beyond our own communities and our own circles. Indeed, the witnesses of Jesus Christ are to cross borders. I'll say that again. The witnesses of Jesus Christ are to cross borders. And what Madison read occurs at the beginning of Acts, the very beginning. And if we look throughout the book of Acts, we see that there is a ton of border crossing going on. Jesus promises the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A couple days later, the Spirit comes at Pentecost, what we call Pentecost, and people are speaking, they're preaching the Word of God, and everybody understands it in their own language. So the Spirit already is crossing language barriers. Later on in Acts, we see that there is a conflict between the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews as they share food with one another, and there's conflict resolution between those two groups. We see that Philip baptizes an Ethiopian eunuch. We see that Peter goes into the household of an unclean, a potentially unclean Roman centurion. We see that Paul visits Lydia, an Asian woman. 
And then we have Paul's various travels across the Mediterranean and up into Europe. But it doesn't end there. The witnesses of Jesus Christ crossing borders doesn't end with the book of Acts, but goes into church history. And we have missionaries from the Middle East heading up into the, the cold woods of Europe where our pagan ancestors were worshiping who knows what gods. And thanks be to God that that message spread and crossed borders and reached our ancestors. Amen? So to be a witness of Jesus Christ, you are to cross borders. And this doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to short-term mission trips to other countries or you have to become a missionary in another continent. I'm using border in the very broad sense of the word, things that separate people, the barriers that we have between people. But if this is our call, if we are, to, if we are called to cross borders, why do we as Christians tend to avoid those borders? Why is it so difficult? As Martin Luther King Jr. said once, I think it is one of the greatest tragedies of our nation that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. Why is it so difficult to cross borders between our communities and our groups? Because it's just so dang hard. Jesus didn't tell the apostles to cross borders safely or to settle for existing differences. He has been raised above borders and he's a ruler over them to bring people together. In Acts, the book of Acts, the Spirit leads Christians to negotiate differences intimately rather than from a safe distance. Why is it difficult to cross borders as a Christian witness? Well, there are many reasons and there are many, many layers. But one main reason is that we often view the other in ways that God would not have us view them. And this is where it gets hard. The world tells us in many subtle ways and not so subtle ways that we, as Americans, are superior to, other for, uh, to foreigners, especially foreigners in poor countries. I saw this often when I was in Nicaragua. There were, very, there were many missionaries down there who actually, they were very respectful of the people and the culture and they saw Nicaraguans at their same level and saw them as fe fellow members of the church. But then there were others who thought themselves, I'm up here and you poor Nicaraguan, I'm going down here because you need me and it's out of my graciousness and my benevolence that I am coming down to you, you poor, poor thing. And it's very hard to, it, there, there's a lot of times where this happens, but I think one instance where this really hit home is when I was on the beach and I watched an American man throwing up candy and money in the air, in the name of Jesus Christ, mind you, as Nicaraguan men, women, and children were groveling at his feet, picking it up as if he were some sort of pagan god. <clears throat> we see ourselves superior in our system, the very system that runs this country. Our system gives American college students the freedom to go to Cancun on drunken, hypersexual spring breaks, but will not give my mother-in-law the freedom to visit Yesenia because of a visa. She stood in line with a whole bunch of other people, and uh, she said, I'd like to go to the United States, and they asked her one question, what do you do? Uh, I take care of kids. Boom, denied. In front of everybody. You can, and that was, that's what happens. Taking care of kids does not make enough money, and so you're potentially a threat to the United States. Anyway, I could get into that, but I won't. Um, foreigners are seen as frightening. That's another perspective that we have that uh, keeps us from viewing the other as God would view them. Fri uh, foreigners are frightening. And we have a lot of fears that are understandable. The news, it seems that every other week, an Islamic terrorist has bombed somewhere or has beheaded someone or that Mexican drug cartels have done some sort of atrocity. And it's, it's, it's difficult for me, honestly, I'll confess, when I hear the word Muslim or when I hear the word Islam, I, it's, terrorism is not a word that's too far away. I see a Muslim as a terrorist first and a human being second, and that's my sin. But 
There were other people who had their fears in the Bible. We are often familiar with the fear that the Israelites had when they were to cross the border into the promised land. And they sent spies into the promised land. And they said, whoa, we're not going to go in there because there are giants in that land. We are afraid there are giants. And giants are a reasonable fear, I would say. It's a very understandable fear, giants. And yet, by bowing to that fear, God had them suffer dire consequences. Forty more years in the desert. You choose your fear over God's commands, there are consequences. Now granted, the Israelites were called to do a certain task in their context, a contextual border crossing. And we today are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in our border crossing, and yet we are very similar to the Israelites. God calls us to cross the border as witnesses, and yet we run away because there are giants in the land. So how do we cure this incorrect view of the other, of those on the other side of the border? We can do that by adopting a more biblical view of who the other is. We see that many heroes of the faith were border crossers, were immigrants. As David says, I am just a foreigner, an immigrant, staying with you just like my ancestors were. Psalm 39, 12. We, look to, we, we see the heroes of the faith. We see Abraham, a border crosser, an immigrant. Jacob, an immigrant. Moses, an immigrant. Ruth, an immigrant. Esther, an immigrant. The prophets living in exile, immigrants. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who, before he was two years old, was a wanted child by a by a king who wanted to kill him. And so by the, before he was two, he was a refugee in Egypt. When we adopt a more biblical view regarding foreigners, we see that God's law demands that we remember where we came from and treat people accordingly. And here are just a handful of laws regarding the other. When giving an offering of first fruits, the Israelites were instructed, solemnly state before the Lord your God, my father Abraham was a starving Aramean. He went down to Egypt living as an immigrant there with a few family members, but, but that is where he became a great nation, mighty and numerous. Deuteronomy 26, 5. Don't mistreat or oppress an immigrant because you were once immigrants in the land of Egypt. Exodus 22, 21. And by the way, when the Hebrews read this, they didn't think of them. They, the Exodus ha- could have happened generations ago, and yet they thought it happened. They, they took it as something that happened yesterday. So your great, 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 Grandparents could have been in the Exodus, but you still considered yourself once a slave in Egypt. Uh, don't oppress an immigrant. You know what it's like to be an immigrant because you were immigrants in the land of Egypt, Exodus 23.9. Don't pick your vineyard clean or gather up the grapes that have fallen there. Leave these items for the poor and the immigrant. I am the Lord your God, Leviticus 19.10. Don't obstruct the legal rights of an immigrant orphan. Don't take a widow's coat as a pledge for a loan. Remember how you were a slave in Egypt, but how the Lord your God saved you from that. This is, what I'm commanding you, this is why I'm commanding you to do this thing. Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 18. Any immigrant who lives, lives with you must be treated as if they were one of your own citizens. You must love them as yourself because you were, an Im- you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19:34. When we adopt the more biblical view, point of view regarding the other, we see that the prophets demand justice for foreigners. Don't let the immigrant who has joined with you joined with the Lord say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. Isaiah 56, 3. This is what the Lord of the heavenly, host, heavenly forces, the God of Israel says, improve your conduct and your actions and, you will dwe- and I will dwell with you in this place. If you truly reform your ways and your actions, if you treat each other justly, if you stop taking advantage of the immigrant, orphan, and widow, if you don't shed blood of the innocent in this place and go, and go after other gods of your own ruin, only then 
will I dwell with you in this place, in the land that I gave you long ago to your ancestors. Jeremiah 7, 3 and verses 6 through 7. Important people of the land have practiced extortion, have committed robbery. They've oppressed the poor and mistreated the immigrant. They've oppressed and denied justice. Ezekiel 22, 29. How else do we cure our view of those on the other side of the border? I've just given you an exhausted, and it could go on, but that's a, that's a list of what the Bible has to say. And what, what, if we adopt a more biblical perspective, we, we could potentially have a better view. We could have our view cured of what the other is. But another way in which we can cure our incorrect perspective of the other is to actually do what Jesus says and cross the border. You see, I once held a negative view of undocumented immigrants in the United States. I thought that they were lazy, job-stealing, drug-selling, system-abusing people. But then I spent six years in Latin America. And after that, Jesenia and I, we attended a church that was made up primarily of undocumented immigrants in the United States. And these people took us in as though we were their family. And they cared for us. And they quite literally would give me the shirt off their back. I think it's in my closet somewhere. Um, And they taught me so much about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing in the world. And there are countless, countless, countless stories of people having their point of view changed when when they cross the border and encounter the other that resides there. In Acts, Peter, the rock and foundation of our church, He encounters the Roman centurion Cornelius. And after that encounter, he says, I I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So to cure our incorrect perspective of of the other, that barrier that keeps us from crossing borders and doing what Jesus commands us to do, or uh, that keeps us from being an effective witness, is that we need to adopt a more biblical perspective of the other and that we need to do actually what Jesus says and cross the border in faith. We are called to meet the challenge of crossing borders. The witnesses of Jesus Christ are border crossers. Crossing borders involves facing fears. And when we are afraid, we remember that Jesus said in Matthew's version of the Great Commission, he says, do not be afraid for I am with you. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Crossing borders involves meeting people who may act hostile towards us. And when we are tempted to pay hostility with hostility, we remember that Jesus commands us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Crossing borders involves humbling ourselves. And when we are tempted to fall into this line of thinking that Americans are better, we remember that Jesus humbled himself to the role of a servant and was obedient even to, the, to death, even to death on a cross. And then we remember that Jesus crossed borders for our sake. He crossed the border between heaven and earth and took on flesh and walked among us. He crossed the border from life into death for our sake. And he crossed the border from death into life for our sake. And after he resurrected, he said his last words to the apostles were, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This has been the Artisan Tree Podcast. For more information, you can visit artisantree.org or epicjason.com. Thank you for listening and be blessed.